Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Praise His holy name. Christ. 
Good morning, church family. I'm so excited to bring you the word this Christmas season, Sunday morning in December. Look at your neighbor say it's going to be a good Sunday. We're thankful for that holy night. I have a controversial question to open up our time together this morning. Um, as we kick off this Christmas series, I need to know something. And by saying this, by asking this, I do not intend to stir up any type of division or drama, but I do need to know where you stand on this very critical issue. Um, do you put up the Christmas tree before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving, okay? If you are team before Thanksgiving, I need you to make a little noise right now. All right, all right. If you are team after Thanksgiving, I need you to support. I need you to rep yourselves. Anyone brave enough to? Okay. Okay. All right. That settles it. Everyone just keep on doing exactly what you're doing and you'll be good. I am learning in every family there is a member that just carries Christmas. Do you know that family member? Maybe it's you. Um, they are the ones itching to decorate at 12 a.m. November 1st. For our family, it is my dad. My dad carries Christmas. He is the one who puts up the tree. He is the one who hangs the Christmas lights. He is the one that drags all of the yard displays out to the front yard and puts those up. And he is the one that sets the atmosphere by streaming Christmas music any chance he can get. So in the Strawn household, Christmas music did not start in November. It did not start in October, but growing up, Christmas music started after Labor Day. It started in September in my family. I once, a couple of summers ago, I once walked outside in the blazing heat of July, and I found my dad listening to Christmas music as he worked on the lawn, and I said, you are a sick man. You, you need help. This man loves Christmas. He loves Christmas. For many people, the music of Christmas pulls up these nostalgic memories of holidays at home with family and with friends. And these songs and these sounds of Christmas, they have a way of transporting us back to those places that we're homesick for. Not only do these songs transport us, but they also connect us to the true heart of Christmas. So while holidays are jam-packed with parties and shopping and travel and even stress, Christmas songs are a way that we can press pause on all of that, that we stop the activity and we make space for the nativity of the Lord. Each week of our series, we're going to unpack, as Pastor Greg shared, we're going to unpack a spiritual truth from a Christmas song. So this playlist of Christ-focused Christmas music will be missing a few of my personal favorites, like Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Anybody love that one? Um, 
I also was hoping it would include, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. I think there's so much spiritual truth that can be packed into that song. Um, But while those are true Christmas classics, they are missing this message that we want to deliver to you this season. So this week's Christmas song, I bet you've already guessed, is Oh Holy Night. Now this beautiful hymn is steeped in history, and it's an anthem of hope. It reminds us that when we desperately needed a savior, when we desperately needed somebody to rescue us, God sent us the perfect, the promised, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus. Before we read about that holy night, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent us your son, Jesus. We thank you that not only did you send him 2,000 years ago, but he is in the room with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that with his presence comes peace and fullness of joy and salvation, God. I pray right now, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that is in need of a Savior today, Lord, that today would be the pivot point of their life and they would turn to you, God, once and forever as Lord and Savior of their life. Go ahead, Holy Spirit, and make a way with this word that I cannot make, but only you can, God. You only can prepare hearts, Jesus. And so we ask that you do that, Lord. Take this word and make it a seed planted in our hearts, and I believe for fruit to be produced. Go ahead and move me out of the way, Jesus, so you can speak. We yield to your voice today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Luke chapter 2, you're familiar with this chapter. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 14 is going to be where we are this morning. It's going to be on the screens. You can find it in your Bibles. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you this morning. Verse 1 says this, at that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in the manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Our family has a tradition that many of you also share. Before one present is unwrapped, before one stocking is unpacked, we gather around together as a family and we read these verses from the Gospel of Luke. Because after 2,000 years, we are still celebrating what happened on that holy night. Why do we do that? Why are we talking about that night this morning? 
because that holy night marked history and it changed the world. And since the moment that sin broke God's perfect plan into a million pieces, God sent another plan in place. When sin issued a death sentence, God promised us a savior that would come and set all things right. The first glimpse of this promise takes Way, it takes place all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had just stolen a bite of the forbidden fruit, causing this collision between God's creation and sin and its consequences. And while God's naming what's going to happen because of their choice to disobey, he brings this glimmer of hope into the darkness. God promises us that this serpent will pay for what he has done. God promises us that although the serpent has struck the heel, one will come to crush his head, and that one is named Jesus. And so for generations, church, they longed to see this promised Messiah, this Redeemer. And after, finally, after hoping and longing and waiting and wishing, Jesus was born So if you want to start celebrating Christmas at 12 a.m., November 1st, go for it. If you want to blast Christmas music in July, have at it because this birth gives us something to sing about. The story behind O Holy Night uh, captured my history-loving heart. I love history. I love researching. I love finding little details from from history. And so while studying for this message and researching this origin of this very well-known Christmas classic, I discovered a bit of history that I want to share with you this morning. So this song we sing actually started out as a poem, and it was written in 1843 by a French poet and I'm going to try to pronounce his name. Now, I, I give you a disclaimer. I did not take French in high school. I took Spanish. So um, bear with me, but his name needs to be spoken. He is the one that wrote this. So Pasid Capu, that's going to go. We're going to go with that. He was the one who was commissioned in 1843 to write this Christmas piece to celebrate something. The local church was renovating their organ, and so the priest of the local parish uh, commissioned this French poet to write a piece to celebrate that. So once he had the poem in hand, he took it to a legendary composer, Adolph Adams, who was known for composing ballets such as Giselle. You might be familiar with that ballet. And so that composer set that poem to music. Now, what's really interesting is neither of these men are known for their strong Christian beliefs. So once that kind of became public knowledge, this song actually was largely banned because it was revealed that one writer had renounced his faith in in Jesus and the other composer was of Jewish origin. However, though, a decade later, author and abolitionist John Sullivan Dwight discovered this French poem and he translated it into English for his readers, and that is how the song became a part of our American Christmas culture. So there were many elements that were really interesting and that caught my attention, but, and I'll share a few more as we go on, but the first thing that really grabbed my attention about this hymn, O Holy Night, is this. The original title wasn't O Holy Night, it was this. It was Midnight Christians. Midnight Christians. Look at your neighbor say, Midnight Christians. If I had to choose a title for this message, it would be Midnight Christians. 
because I believe I'm talking to some Christians who have seen and survived some dark midnights. If you've ever walked through the darkness of a midnight, you really do know that Jesus is the Savior. Maybe your midnight looked like um, the death of a loved one. Maybe your midnight looked like the betrayal from a friend or a battle with depression, a struggle with your faith, a wrestling with some type of addiction or unexpected disappointment that crashed into your life. Maybe you're here in this room and as we're singing Christmas songs and celebrating the season, you feel far from desiring to celebrate because you are finding yourself in a midnight this morning. If that's you, I've come to bring a message of hope in the hardship for you. I've been praying over this message and every message is, is kind of like, um, it's like a special, holds a special place in your heart. But I, I just said to the Lord, as I was praying for this message this weekend, I just said to the Lord, I'm carrying this message differently. I'm carrying it differently in my heart because I, I know the weight that hope can bring to a life that is confused, that is broken, and that is walking through a midnight. So I've been praying for you. If that's you this morning, if you find yourself in a dark night of the soul, if you find yourself in circumstances that seem far from being celebratory, then God has brought you here this morning for such a time as this because he has a message to speak to your heart, and that message is there is hope in your hardship. Jesus came for our midnights. Jesus came for our mountaintops, but he came for our midnights. If you're in need of a savior for your soul, I've been praying for you. But if you're also in need of a savior for your mind, if you're in need of a savior for your marriage or for your peace, then this message is for you. Luke 2 has some hope that we can hang on to this morning if you are walking through a midnight. The first thing you need to know if you find yourself there, and, and if you're not there this morning, don't worry, you will be at one point in your life then I want you to tuck this, uh, these tools away for a different time. But if you're there this morning, I want you to know this. Number one, midnights are momentary. Midnights are momentary. And now, church, I'm trying. I am really trying. I am trying so hard to be more patient. This journey is not going well. I said to myself, as I am the person that can't wait for the microwave to reach completion of time. I am the one that opens it up when it's three seconds to go. I am the one that begged her parents to let her open at least one Christmas present on Christmas Eve. I'm the one that if I bought you a Christmas present, I can't wait to give it to you. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I am the one who gets slight road rage when someone really slow pulls out in front of me when I'm in a hurry uh, on my way to get somewhere. I know I'm not alone in this. Don't make me feel alone, church. Do you hate to wait? Do you hate to wait? I know I'm not alone in this. I know because I talk to so many people who are wrestling with some type of wait, and they're in this waiting season. I've got close friends right now who are desperately desiring to have a child. And so they are waiting to see a yes on that pregnancy test. I've got friends right now waiting to get a job, waiting to purchase a home, waiting to sell a home. I've got friends who are praying their children back into the kingdom of God. I'm waiting on a few things myself. 
if part of your midnight has included a long wait, then you need to understand that you are not alone. And have you noticed that once you end one wait, you tend to enter another wait of another type, right? This seems to be part of our human experience that we share on this earth. If part of your midnight includes a wait, I've got some hope for you today because the Jewish people had been waiting for this Messiah, this Savior, this Redeemer, not just for years, not just for decades, but for millennia. This people group had survived in the wait. They had survived attack, devastation, famine, captivity, exile, and a lot of years of silence by the time Jesus finally arrived. In fact, from the prophecies of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, to the events that unfolded on Luke chapter 2, the nights, that, that night's events, we see over 400 years pass of silence. Do you know what it's like to experience a season of silence? Something about waiting is hard, but when you're waiting and there's no word for you to hang on to, that's difficult. That's difficult. If you're here this morning, I think I found your word. Luke 2, 6 says this, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. The time came. Verse 1 of O Holy Night reads this, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope a weary world rejoices. If you are weary from the waiting this morning, you can rejoice in hope because the time will come. The time will come. The time came. After hundreds and thousands of years after the wars and after the wandering and after the waiting, the time came. Midnight's church are momentary. The time will come for the era of your midnight to pass. This is hope for those who are walking in a valley because what will happen to you is the enemy will come and try to convince you that this midnight is a moment that's actually going to last forever, but that's not true because even if we don't get the outcome that we want on this side of heaven, we will see everything redeemed in eternity and that eternity will make this lifetime seem like a second. I tell myself that as I wait on God to do some things in my life after decades of waiting for family members to be saved, for parents to be healed, for promises to unfold in in our family, today you need to know that midnights are momentary. You also need to know this, number two, midnights make space for God to speak to our weakness. Midnights make space for God to speak to our weakness. One of my favorite parts of this story is the way that Jesus's birth announcement happened. One might think that the news of a savior of the world would call for some type of press release or like a party in a palace somewhere. But instead, that's not how God does it. Instead, this angel drops down into this otherwise very peaceful pasture and splits this quiet, dark night wide open with this supernatural light. 
And the response of the shepherd is basically what happens to most of us when we are walking through a midnight. Verse 9 and 10 of Luke 2 says this, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. I'm learning something about these midnight seasons. I'm learning that it's often the things that terrify us that have the capacity to bring great joy to many people. Let me explain. As I was studying for this message and I was recalling through midnight seasons that I've walked through um, over the last few years, one kept coming back to mind. And it's the, this recent three and a half year journey my family has been on to adopt our sweet little love of my life, uh, Draken. If you know me for five minutes, you've heard me talk about him. You've heard me share a funny story about him. And so my parents sought to adopt him over the last few years. So in 2014, Draken came to live with our family. I have some like lovely pictures of this little nine-year-old boy. Um, he came to live in, with our family in 2014. And when it became clear that his biological parents didn't have the capacity to give him the care that he needed, my parents sought guardianship and then to legally adopt him. And this isn't the first child that my parents had adopted. Their first one turned out really great. That's me. Um, so they were all in. After a great experience, they were all in to adopt another child, even in their 60s. They said, we want him. And, um, and so he is, is very much wanted and very much chosen to be a part of our family. Um, but they were familiar with this adoption journey to some extent, because if, if you've gone through something once, you think that you can kind of work your way through it uh, the next time, but none of us expected what was to come. My adoption was so smooth, it was funny. Um, my adoption was, the best word to describe it was seamless whenever my parents uh, adopted me into their family, and um, we just sort of expected that this would be the same way. None of us expected this, this war, this brutal war and waiting that came with this particular situation. Um, it, it taught me empathy for people who have walked through similar situations, who didn't have adoptions quite as seamless as, as my own. Um, and so a lot of years were spent, uh, countless court dates. I, start, I stopped keeping track of them, um, money spent on lawyers, hopes built up. And almost you, you hold your breath and you wait and you think maybe this is it when we get the final word. Um, but then those hopes were crushed with disappointment after disappointment. And we found ourselves deep in this midnight season as, as a family. It almost felt like the enemy was trying to press pause on our life. Um, we felt like we couldn't relax until all things were settled. But as I was worshiping, the Lord reminded me of something so so true that when life around you is so uncertain, uncertain, he is the steady ground you can stand on. And I just, as I was worshiping, I just saw this picture in my mind of um, 
Our family likes to play Boggle. I don't know if you're familiar with this board game of the 70s and 80s, but this was a game that I grew up on, and um, it's basically a word game. It's got a lot of little uh, uh, cubes with letters written on them, and <clears throat> you shake them up, and they fall where they may, and you have three minutes to figure out how many words you can uh, write in, in that amount of time. And so if you're wondering why I like to talk so much and where I get all my words from, I blame it on the fact that my parents raised me on Boggle. And so over Thanksgiving break, my family was in town, and we played this, this game of Boggle. And as I'm worshiping, the Lord reminded me of those pieces that, you know, when, when they're, they're trying to fall into place and they're not quite locked in, right? You shake it a little bit more until things settle to, to, to be locked in. And I, I felt him just remind me, you're not, you know, you're in a bit of a season where things are being shaken up around you. Anybody? Like, anybody know what that feels like where there's just maybe a lot of transition or there's a lot of uncertainty or a feeling of unsettledness? And as I sort of talk to people, what they're walking through and, and situations that they're facing right now, it feels like a lot of us are in that season. And the Lord reminded me, even if those pieces aren't locked into place, I am your firm foundation. That even whenever you've got court appointments and doctor's appointments and lawyer appointments and when you are waiting for something or when you are hoping for something or when you are just trying to put one foot in front of the other, even when life is so uncertain and things aren't locked into place, he is the steady ground that we stand on. And that was a message that came to our family, one that we held on to while we were walking through that midnight season. Words can't express to you the fear that gripped my heart whenever it seemed like the outcome that we wanted was never going to happen. But in the middle of that midnight, we all found this peace and this presence of God waiting to walk us through the night. None of us in my family, to my knowledge, had angelic visitations um, like these shepherds did in this pasture but as we did grapple with those emotions that were tumbling around inside of us, God would speak those same words over and over to us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And God walked with us every step of that three-year journey all the way to victory. I have a picture of what um, that victory looked like. It's a picture of Draken's Adoption Day that we got to celebrate early this year, um, where we got to be, um, we got to hear that final word that we had been waiting for. And now what I've discovered and am discovering is that moment of hardship, it's a message of hope that I have to share with people for the rest of my life that I can give to people who are walking through a similar season or maybe just a season that's marked with a lot of waiting and a lot of hoping. I can say, I've walked through that midnight valley and I know that he's faithful and I know that the time will come, that there will be a shift, there will be a change and that he who guides us through the night is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Fear tries to keep us company at night. As a kid, I always battled fear. Um, I'd like to say as an adult, I never battle fear, but that's just not true. I also battle fear as an adult. But as a kid, I didn't quite have the tools that I have now to fight that fear. And so I remember I would lay in my bed, and it wasn't necessarily nightmares that would plague me, but it would actually be more... Um, uh, imaginations in my own brain. It's like if I didn't have a nightmare, I could just think one up in my mind. Anybody with me here? Um, and so I, I remember those many nights that I would lie in my bed 
and it felt like fear was there to keep me company. And if you are there this morning, I have good news that fear might be in the midnight with you, but there is one greater than fear. And he promises us to be our shield, not just to hold up a shield, but the word says he is our shield. If you've ever found, um, maybe you were like me as a child and you'd be in your bed and and either having that nightmare or, or having your own imagination bring you to that point of fear. And what I would do is I would call out. My parents' bedroom was just down the hall from mine. And I would call out and certainly one of the four people in our household would come running to me, but usually it was a parent, and they would come and all of a sudden everything was safe. And so Psalm 23 is kind of that passage of comfort and safety I turn to whenever I'm walking through a midnight. Verse 4 says this, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I need you to know that God's message of hope is waiting for you in the valley. God's hope is strong enough to stop the war of fear. While researching today's Christmas song, I found another interesting bit of trivia that I want to share with you. Um, You might have heard this account because I had heard it before, but I wasn't aware that it was connected to this song, Oh Holy Night. So here is what many say unfolded one Christmas Eve night. It was 1871. And the Franco-Prussian War was raging. So the French and the German armies were locked into this battle until this French soldier allegedly jumped up from the trenches and sang the French version of Oh Holy Night. And then the Germans returned this gesture by singing a hymn in their language. And then a truce was called just for that night so the soldiers could celebrate a peaceful Christmas Eve. We'll never know if that actually happened, um, but I do know this, that God really can bring peace to any war that you're walking through. Whether it's fear, whether it's discouragement, depression, being overwhelmed or stressed, that's typical of this time of year. Whatever fear you're walking through, the Lord has a word of peace for you. The second verse of this song reads, He knows our need. To our weakness, he's no stranger. Behold your king before him, lowly bend. God knows the weakness that we feel in the midnight. And just like he spoke to those shepherds, do not be afraid. I believe he's speaking that to us this morning. Megan, you can go ahead and come on. Play behind me. Make me sound spiritual. Drive this thing to a close. Number three, the last thing you need to know if you are walking through a midnight is this, midnights move us from slaves to sons. Midnights move us from slaves to sons. The final verse of O Holy Night is actually my favorite. It was always the thrill of hope line that got me until I studied this song a little bit deeper, and this became my favorite line. I'm allowed to make changes, and this is my favorite line now. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. I mentioned that the original French poem was translated into English by this author and abolitionist John Sullivan Dwight in the 1800s. And something you need to know about this man, Dwight, he was an anti-slavery activist. 
and he's known for slightly revising the original poem to include that section regarding Jesus breaking all chains of slavery and oppression. And that song became an anthem. It became popular with other anti-slavery activists in the North during the Civil War. These verses remind us that when Jesus came, he came to set every captive free. Every person is worth freedom. Luke 4, 18, this moment unfolds where Jesus is, is grown. We jump from Luke 2 to Luke 4. Jesus is grown, and he's sort of starting out on his public ministry. He finds himself in the temple, and he stands up to read this piece of scripture from Isaiah. And this is what Jesus is really declaring about his identity and why he's here. And this is what he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim the captives will be released and the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. His freedom was not exclusive. It was for anyone of any past, of any race, of any socioeconomic status, Jewish and non-Jewish, man or woman, to receive. John 1 verse 12 says this, but to all who believed him, all, but to all who believed him, no matter your past, no matter your present, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You have the right to become a child of God. And let me remind you, if you already are a child of God, let me remind you of your identity. You are a child of God. No chain is too hard for him to break. No oppression too much for the Lord to deliver you from. He has come so that we can have freedom, freedom from sin. That's why he came and died on a cross for us. That's why his perfect, precious blood was shed. That's why he resurrected from the grave to prove that he is in fact the son of God, that he is stronger than death and hell and the grave. That's why we can trust him with our whole lives. I need you to understand that if you put your faith in Jesus this morning, your life will change. He's stronger than sin. He's stronger than sin, but he's also stronger than everything else. And the same faith that, that you had to accept Jesus, maybe as a child, maybe that childlike faith where you could just believe that story and walk with it and, and it's carried you into adulthood. Maybe you're sitting here having been a Christian for 43 years, but this morning you've got some other kind of thing that's trying to oppress you, weigh you down, make you wonder if the Lord is in your midnights. The same God that saved you is the one who will walk you through the valley. The same God who, who gave his life for you has given us everything for life and for godliness. He is here this morning to all who believe. He gave us the right to become children of God. I want you to close your eyes with me this morning. I, I have to give this invitation. It's so, it's so heavy on my heart because I just, I believe that God has come to save souls this morning. I believe he's come to set the sinner free. If you're here in the church this morning and, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are trapped in sin, your, your life is broken. Your life is broken because your relationship with God is broken. And he wants to fix that 
this morning. In fact, he wants it so bad, he sacrificed Jesus so that you would be saved. And I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. This morning, if you're in this room and you know that you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, here's what I'm going to do. In a few moments, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand so I know who to be praying for. And then a few moments after that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. This prayer is, is a simple conversation between you and God. It's a conversation, though, that's going to mark your life forever because it's a conversation of surrender. And what that looks like is you're going to tell the Lord, you are a sinner. You've messed up. You understand that. But you understand he's God's son, and he has a plan for you, and, and you will put your faith in him. But here's the deal. Then you have to let him be Lord of your life. I think you might have tried it all these other ways where you're still in charge, but the, the thing that's missing for you is release of control, where he really does get to be the one that is calling the shots. He's the one that is in charge. He's the one that you follow after. So in that surrender, I believe you're going to experience salvation, and that salvation comes, and it changes your life forever. It's beautiful, and and I'm excited for you to experience that this morning. If you're ready to make that decision, when I count to three, listen, no one's looking around. This isn't about, about you and anybody else. This is about you and Jesus. On the count of three, if you need to make Jesus your Savior, would you just lift your hand up nice and high? One, two, three. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'll give you a few more moments. You want to make Jesus your Savior. You can put your hands down. So thankful that God has come to save souls and that he's doing that this morning. Church, would you pray with me as we lead our brothers and sisters in a prayer of salvation? Would you just repeat after me? Don't just say it, though, with your mouth. I want you to say it with your heart. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming into this broken world. I am broken because I'm a sinner. And I need you to be my savior. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you come be Lord of my life? I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again. Come fill me with your spirit. Make me just like you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Can we give God glory for salvation this morning? Praise God. Praise God. I want to close our time in the last few minutes to kind of share a thought that has been on my heart. After I wrote the last word of this message, I couldn't get away from this moment that happened a little bit later in Luke chapter 2 that I, that I hope brings you some encouragement. So if you're here this morning and you're walking through a midnight, this is, this is specifically for you. So the, the, the uh, shepherds, once they hear the good news, you, you know this part of the story, they race off to figure out, is this true? And so they run and they find the scene set exactly as the angels said it would be. They, they find Mary and they find Joseph and they find this little baby wrapped snugly in cloths, in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And so they see this scene just as God had promised and they returned, it says in Luke 2, they returned to their fields, praising God and, and, and glorifying his name, so excited about what they had seen. And I kept thinking of that moment 
about how they saw the Savior, but then they returned to like everyday life. They just had this angelic visitation. They just had this moment in church where they felt the presence of the Lord. They, they cried, they felt Jesus, and then they had to walk back in and see all the dishes in their, in their kitchen sink. You know what I mean? And, and we all have moments like these shepherds ha- have experienced where we, we have this moment, this encounter with God, this hope that he brings us, and then we walk back into our everyday lives. And this morning, I, I can't fix your midnights. I wish I could. I wish I could like right every wrong, but then I would be Jesus and that would be weird. Um, Only he can do that. I wish I could though, but I can't. But I can give you the same hope that these shepherds have given me that, that whenever they returned to their field, it was the same field, but their faith was stronger. And so guys, as we walk back into the circumstances that we can't erase and there's no quick fix and we just have to walk kind of one foot in front of the other, we're returning to the same field, but I hope your faith is stronger. I hope that whenever you find yourself walking through a midnight that you cling to Psalm 23 that says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. You are beside me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I believe that's the hope that God has for us this morning. Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? Would you check in to this message? This is a moment for you and the Lord to have, to have some conversation around your midnights. I know that I'm talking to people walking through all different types of midnights. Your midnight looks different than my midnight. But I know that I, I'm talking to some people who are walking through a season where they are in need of a savior. And I'm not talking about the salvation that he brings. You have that. But I'm talking about saving of our mind, of our relationships, of our our emotional. Maybe we're walking through emotional turmoil. Maybe we're walking through a very broken season in some relationships in our life. Whatever that midnight looks like for you, this is where God has come to infuse a message of hope into your season. The Savior came for you too. And he didn't just come once, he's here this morning. And if you are in need of a little bit of hope this morning and a midnight, would you just lift your hands and would you receive this prayer that I have to pray over you? Jesus, you see every hand that is lifted, that is walking through a midnight season. God, you alone know the details and the heartbreak and the sharpness of that season. You alone, God, can restore and bring peace to that midnight God, you alone can make the the page turn and the chapter change. God, you alone can do that. But Lord, as we wait, Father, we know that you're with us. God, I pray hope where there has been fear. I pray peace where there's been chaos. I pray where there's been a struggle and a striving. I speak rest in Jesus' name. I I thank you, Lord, that we're going to be like those shepherds that we've had an encounter with your word. We've seen you work this morning. You have brought us hope today. But Lord, a lot of us are walking right back into the field that we came from. But I thank you, Lord, that we're not walking back into that field the same. We are walking back into that field with a stronger faith, God. That we're gonna lean on the truths that you've given us this morning, that our midnights are momentary, that you come and you speak faith and promises to our weakness, God. And Lord, that you bring, you bring freedom to every person walking 
through a hard valley, God. We give you praise. We give you honor, God, for the work that you have done this morning. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We're so thankful that you got to worship with us this morning at the assembly. We'll see you for family service this Wednesday night. It's going to be Christmas-themed. You're going to want to be there. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.